Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world. And today I'm back in the UK. I'm speaking to a person that uh, uh, I've been following for a while on LinkedIn. And there was I had this incredible pull to, to get her onto the podcast. She's done some incredible work. Uh, she really has. Uh, so Sally Orange, and I love the name, by the way, because orange is my favorite color, Sally, as I've already just told you. Uh, but you've done some some wonderful things. I mean, you know, an illustrious career in the British Army, uh, head of the physiotherapy unit. Uh, during COVID, you did lots and lots of voluntary work. And then you decided that you're going to run a marathon around the Nightingale Hospital. We need to talk about dressed in scrubs. I just think that's incredible. Uh, you're a national ambassador for a number of organizations. And the one that struck me was the Army Cadets UK, uh, which I want to touch upon uh, because I think that's all about creating future leaders. Uh, and you support, you're doing an awful, awful lot of work around supporting mental awareness. Sally, welcome to our program. It's really, really good to have you here. And I think congratulations are in order as well, aren't they? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's really lovely, uh, lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So for those of us who are watching this, I think they'll want to see what uh, you've been presented with recently, um, quite rightly to well-deserved. Uh, Sally has recently been uh, honoured through the MBE and she was just showing me the medal. For those of us on video, would you mind just showing that medal again, just so everyone can see what it looks like? That there we that are. Awesome. <laughs> That'd be so lovely to be wearing that, wouldn't it? But listen, yeah. you've done a lot of work to deserve that. Uh, and you were also telling me just before uh, we went live here that uh, you actually ended up bumping into, as you do, Princess Anne four times in four weeks. And one of those occasions was when she presented that medal to you. Do you want to just tell us a bit about the medal and how on earth you kept bumping into Princess Anne? Yeah, it was quite funny. I'd been to an event um, that she'd been, it was Trafalgar Night at the uh, Royal Naval College and she was there speaking. So I, I'd seen her the week before and then I didn't know at the investiture who it was going to be, um, but it, it, I got there and was informed it was going to be um, the Princess Royal. I was like, ah, oh, my, my friend. Um, and so then when she actually presented me with the, with the medal, it was such an incredible day. Did you tell and her that I saw you last week? I did actually, yeah. And I, um, I'd also met her earlier in the year at Sandown. Um, so she, after I'd, I'd completed seven marathons on seven continents in seven days, and it was a few weeks after, and I remember seeing her, her there as well. And yeah, so my mum was saying when she was watching it, saying you, you were chatting for so long. Why, 
what were you chatting about? And I said, well, I was talking about her. The reason I was there for so long was I, you know, I said your speech was wonderful and, you know, I'd met you before. And then I was very fortunate um, just the next week to, I'm going to be sound like I'm name dropping <laughs> now, but I got invited. The first time I actually wore the medal yeah. was on Remembrance. Brilliant. And so I had breakfast with the, the prime minister um, before then going out to march with all the other veterans to remember those who um, you know sadly have paid the ultimate sacrifice and as we marched past uh, the royal to to give you know a salute and eyes right it was the princess royal again and then um, later that week so four days later I'd been speaking at an event up in in Liverpool and as I was leaving um, people were sort of saying, oh, can you move out the way? Can you, uh, you know, and I could see people with, with their cameras and I thought they're, there's somebody coming. I don't know who it is. And as I, I turned round, there was my bestie again. In she walks and carrying it? her own bags. So, yeah, four times in, in four weeks. So <laughs> she's going to be thinking I'm stalking her. <laughs> uh, she'll probably be inviting you around for a cup of tea and, you know, like besties do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> when the hotel staff said... Um, when I said, oh, why didn't you say who it was? I said, she she gave me my MBE last week. <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite uh, What a story, what a story. Um, what must it fe- uh, have felt like, though, to be uh, there on Remembrance Sunday, marching past the cenotaph, wearing your, your MBE medal uh, and paying homage to those who came before us? must have been an incredible feeling right i've been very fortunate actually for the last that was my third year in a row that i'd been invited to um march in in that mm. and in fact the the first year i got invited to the cenotaph um you mentioned that i'm one of the ambassadors for the army cadet force and i was really privileged that i had an army cadet with me and we were actually interviewed by sophie rayworth wow. in front of the cenotaph um as to what it actually meant to me um and also you know to the young you know you know the, the young cadet she'd not never actually been to london so mm. to be there from the northeast of england and there at the um yeah the, the cenotaph was really really quite special so it is it, it's a very it's a very strange day because your emotions are kind of all over the place yeah. you know there's so much um you know those people who who aren't there um you, you know and yeah, you feel like you're representing the the armed forces, um, but they're you know as you know the the you know the police are there. There's the different organisations. You know, really is fabulous to see. Yeah, I always used to. I mean, I think I didn't miss a single Remembrance Sunday in my thirty years of policing, and I always felt it was like a coalescing of of all of these organisations that stood for the greater good. Uh, and there's no better, it sounds like a really cheesy kind of thing to say, but it's it's a deep feeling, isn't it? And and, and for me, it, it was about that unity for the greater good type of thing. Yeah, because, you know, there's lots of people that you haven't seen for, for a long time. So that's where, you know, I say it's a roller coaster of emotions because it's really nice to see people that you haven't seen for such a long time. But at the same time, um, yeah, you, you know, you're you're there remembering those that sadly are no longer with us. Um, so, yeah, you know, quite a, quite a special day. Yeah, imagine. Now, so you had a long, long sort of um, association with the army. You still do. You still talk about the military. You still have 
ambassadorial roles within the military. But how how long did you do in the army, and what was it like for you, uh, and and, and what were your roles specifically within the army? I joined in 1998 um, and I served for just under 22 years. Unfortunately, I was medically discharged um, because of poor mental health. But I, I served as a, a physiotherapist. I actually started as a, a reservist soldier. It was the TA as it was back then, mm. the Territorial Army. Um, and I was a private soldier. And then I transferred when I was at university to the University Officers Training Corps. Right. Um, and then commissioned once I, I qualified as a physiotherapist when I was at university. Um, so, yeah, commissioned, became a, a lieutenant, then got promoted to captain and then finally to a major. And my role was... Um, fixing people basically physically as a as a physiotherapist um, and I did do a tour of duty in Afghanistan so saw um, some very very seriously injured people in that time. Where there are those physical injuries there were also mental injuries uh, that were associated this, I, would, I would guess that they go hand in hand so I'm guessing that you also had to do a lot of a lot of work with people's psychologies and helping to them through talking to them. Yeah, and I feel that's where when I I used to think that I had a real weakness and that I, you know, wasn't a very good physiotherapist uh, manually with some of my manual skills. But in actual fact, I look back now and think actually it is that connection with the patient that you get the best out of the the patient. So if you don't have that rapport, then you could have the best manual skills in, in the world and you're not necessarily going to motivate the the patient to do what they need to do to go to go forward. So it is, it's a teamwork and a partnership. I mean, you're saying something that's so close to my heart in terms of, uh, I often say, you know, IQ skills are all very well and good, but they mean nothing by themselves unless you have the ability to build relationships and build rapport and connect with people. And that's what human-centred leadership is really all about for me. I mean, you, you you went through some really challenging times yourself in the army, you know, with your mental health. Um, if, if you're comfortable talking about that, what was what was it that you went through, and and how did you manage to cope with that, or did you? Yeah, I well, to be honest, um, for of those twenty two years that I'd served, probably I don't know 18, 18 or so years, I really struggled with quite severe depression and chronic anxiety, but I didn't tell anyone I hid it and to my own detriment as it was in the end um, because things got so bad it got to a point where I couldn't not hide it because I was at a place where I I wanted to take take my life and the the crisis team had to had to be called in Um, now if I had actually have told people sooner I could have got that help. And I always relate that to a physiotherapist. If I have a patient who has an ankle injury that they've done the day before and they come to me, I can advise and help right from the word go. Mm. Yet if they come to me three weeks later or a couple of months after, it's much more difficult to be able to uh, to treat and manage that because they'll get into bad habits. Um, but yeah, I I very much liken that to myself that I didn't, get that help I, I didn't have the 
I don't know if it's confidence. I, I felt very shameful that I wasn't being able to, to cope with certain mm. situations. But I now see it very, very different, which is why I'm more than happy to talk about it in that if we don't tell people, how can they help us? Yeah. And another thing that I actually kind of turn it round to is that so many of us like to help other people we get that good warm feeling from helping others well actually if you tell people that there's a problem you're given the opportunity for somebody else to feel good about themselves because they can help you so it's it's kind of a bit of reverse psychology but i've kind of there's so much packed into what you've just talked about there i just want to try and sort of strip that down a bit uh, the what one thing that struck me straight away is that whole concept of you know when you're in a leadership position and particularly in, in places like the army the, the police where you've got all this insignia all over you and it's very hierarchical isn't it let's be honest um there's almost like this facade that you've got to create around you or that's what the organization or the culture seems to suggest it might not be saying it but you almost feel that that's what you need to be doing so sometimes when you're not mentally in the right place sometimes you hide behind this facade don't you uh, and 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 these organizations try as they might uh, find it really difficult to allow people to be themselves uh, and when you are yourself sometimes uh, you can be seen to be very different to your peers which then also gets noticed don't you find yeah absolutely you know i i got to the rank of of major and so i was the you know, the officer in charge of the rehabilitation facility. Yeah, I mean, I was the equivalent rank in the police. Uh, so I know what that feels like when you're at that level and you've got all of these people underneath you looking up to you for leadership and, uh, and guidance, but the organisation and your peers might see you as being different to them or different in the way that they behave or the norm it can be a very lonely place and and quite often as well you know having having that rank having that crown on my rank slide and treating patients i sometimes i just wanted to take that rank slide off because they would be a different person as well because they'd see me as you know the the major and the officer and perhaps if they're a private soldier when i just wanted to level it yeah. because actually i want to help you we're going to get the best out of each other if you can resonate with what I'm I'm trying to say to you um and yeah so and that, it was that, that's about building rapport uh, you know building that connection isn't it human to human yeah yeah uh, you know and I think that's where some of the you know the better manual therapists that I was perhaps you know talking about didn't necessarily have that that skill um and it, it is getting into the particularly with physiotherapy it's getting into the mind of the of the patient and being yeah being able to connect with them to get them to do the exercises that you need them to do to get better when i asked you to come on and talk i had no idea you're going to hit all the points when it comes to emotional intelligence and human centered leadership but you're just doing that and some beautiful examples there very simply put as well, Sally, about how it's so very important to connect with people. And as a leader, you get so much better out of people, whether they're your patients or whether they are the, the teams that you're leading, you get so much more from them in terms of output and outcomes and performance if you connect with them at a human level uh, and inspire them to do more rather than sort of just focusing on the, the authority that your rank holds, maybe your position holds or the process that you're, you're, you're following necessarily. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, sort of, you know, leading by example um, or, or serve to lead as the motto of the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst is, um, you know, if, if, at, um, if at lunchtime I was in the gym, yeah. then... You know, I, I hope that my staff would would do the same as well. And, you know, there would I actually came up with thinking, tell you what, to my civilian staff, I'd say, well, you can have an hour's lunch if you are just going to sit at your desk, or yeah. but actually, you can have an hour and a half if you're going to go to that gym. No, right. it, you know, if you're going to go to the gym, because actually, you're going to be more productive in the afternoon if you've been to the gym at lunchtime. And so it's seen as, you know, you're getting extra time actually not really it's a win-win situation because they get that extra time they then don't have to do that exercise in the evening so they've yeah. got family time um rather than yeah having to have somebody who has a shorter lunch break isn't as productive after and then has to try and motivate themselves later out of work and quite simply the better they feel the more they're going to do right you know the happier they feel the more physically fit they feel the mentally fit they feel they're gonna they're gonna work better they'll perform better yeah yeah so you know sometimes yeah it's just key things and other staff might say well how come they get an hour hour and a half well because i get better productivity out of them did you did you ever have your peers also questioning how you were doing these kind of things how you were leading and doing things differently yeah, um, you know, I think leadership is very, very challenging. And, you know, sometimes people compare. Uh, I quite often use the, the analogy of comparing apples and oranges, which, you know, is quite literal for, for me. <laughs> um, but, you know, quite often you're in different roles. And so, you know, the, there will be times where I couldn't give downtime to staff because we had patients in um, and other departments might have, you know, their workload at different times. So you, you can't always compare. Mm. It, I think if you're always looking for, well, they seem to get better than me, just look at what you're getting. Um, and, you know, if if it doesn't suit you, go and join those others that get what they do, because I'm sure you'll find other ways of going, actually, it's not quite what I thought. You know, you'll only see what you want to see. 100%. There's a big iceberg um, with, you know, any kind of success. You've got the small bit of success at the top, but underneath you've got so much failure, you've got determination, perseverance, you've got, you know, a lot of a lot of qualities beneath the surface. And and actually one of my challenges that I took on a couple of years ago was to run a marathon underground. And I actually got the world's deepest underground marathon wow. um, in the Guinness World Records. Wow. Because <laughs> you just never know what is going on beneath the surface and actually called it beneath the surface it happened to be world mental health day um the day that we did it as well um because yeah you know there, there is so much that other people don't see well do you know what i i'm i'm, I'm sat here in awe of you big sally because you're doing incredible things but you know we had a, a very quick conversation just before we pressed uh, record for for this particular episode because i knew the conversation was just going to be so rich uh, one of the things that you very quickly mentioned was your mental health and how you doubted yourself. And, and, and perhaps to this day, you still doubt yourself. Anybody looking at you right now, Sally Orange, MBE, has run these incredible marathons in the most challenging of environments. She must be like super, super confident. But that's not the, the person that I've just got to know in the last few minutes, is it? <laughs> 
No, not not at all. And I think, you know, depression almost fueled my lack of self-belief and lack of self-esteem. And, you know, in I was telling you about one of my therapy sessions, because I'm really quite open now mm. about I still take medication to, to manage my my depression. I'm doing much, much better. Um by by managing it in in that way and I still see a therapist now but I do remember the therapist at one point saying to me do you think you're too good for the army and I thought has she been listening to me these you know all this time and I said no not not at all um and she said hear me out she said the reason that I say that is because the army is a, a system and it will spit out the people that are too good for it or not good enough because it needs to function in in a way that just keeps going yeah. round and round. And I still didn't know what she meant, but I think since I've left, I've then realised actually if you do question things all the time or you do things slightly different, you don't really fit that system. Yeah. And she remember uh, distinctly again remember her saying to me. Um, it's a little bit like the lemonade bottle and the salad. And I thought, I'm the one in therapy. You know, what? what is she saying? <laughs> and she said, again, hear me out. She said, there's nothing wrong with the lemonade bottle and there's nothing wrong with the salad. They just don't belong together. And I went, oh, right, okay. So it wasn't saying that there was anything wrong with me and there's nothing wrong with the army or, you know, or the organisation. But just at that time, they no longer you know, they don't sort of fit fit together. You know, all too often we can blame organisations, say, you know what, I I, I was different, but, uh, you know, there was uh, some kind of biases going on in the organisation and therefore I was kicked out or I was pushed out or I was marginalised or whatever else. But actually, sometimes it simply is a case that organisations or individuals might outgrow each other or grow in different different directions and maybe that's like a higher calling if you like to that you have to do something else and look at the incredible things that you've done but you still have this connection to the army in the work that you do the ambassadorial work that you do and similarly I still have a connection to the police as well I feel very fortunate to have that and, and in actual fact I felt that that was my my savior when I was um medically discharged and no longer told I was no longer fit for for the army um being able to use those skills and actually yeah. the fact that I was being open about the struggles I'd had with my mental health was actually one of the almost one of the attractive things that you know that they said to me is you can teach the young people that it's okay to yeah. to talk about it and you know through the different things that you've gone on to do um you know you can inspire others so and it's it does make me smile i'm actually going back to the army tomorrow as a civilian i've been asked to go back and speak um so it it sort of yeah it's gone full circle in a way that they're now asking me to talk about the thing that i was actually medically discharged it, it just strikes me the things that you're saying because there I was in the police service trying to talk about emotional intelligence and, and every time I ran a department I ran it differently to my peers and I'd get these like very confused looks from my peers and sometimes even from my seniors and now here I am nine years later and I'm going back into 
police forces doing talking about exactly the same thing essentially uh, as a civilian going into the, the organization it feels bizarre to me i think it will be interesting because you've you've you know i'm going to have that connection with them because i've got the understanding um, um you know i think the army is moving forward in kind of going actually we need to recognize that people do struggle and rather than actually say this isn't for you anymore um how can we change so that we are still for you? Because I, I clearly How still have... How can we have, become more neurodivergent and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. you know, I still, still have some qualities. And it always strikes me as well, you know, all the time that we're trying to fit in and, you know, something like the, the forces, you know, they, they want, you know, it's uniform. They want everyone to be, mm. you know, uniform, those kind of things. But um, you, you get out and you any business is trying to say what they the USP is you know what makes them unique what is different that sets them above or different to anyone else and it yeah I, I say that to young children as well if they're slightly different that it it's like a superpower it's a really. superpower right yeah that's it it's a superpower and 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 I love it you know my, my wife works in like a special school um and so a lot of the, the the young people around her will have some kind of neurodivergence and um and and traditionally the approach has always been oh you know it's almost like a disability this person's got autism or they're on the spectrum or they've got ADHD but i think society is now beginning to see this as a as a as a superpower because she described some of the autistic uh, young people that she has and she says they've got incredible powers actually their powers of remembering their powers of focus their powers of their ability to 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 gain knowledge in a specific area it's just outstanding you know so i think i think you're absolutely right and these would be the superpowers this individualism can become the superpower in any organization and, and almost the you know the the exact person that would fit completely in that system because they're not going to want to do anything different they will turn up on time they will you know be be remember the the things that they they need to remember so that they're, they're actually who the forces are almost designed for because they like that structure the rigidity um of of lifestyle and won't cause any problems won't be difficult because that's how they like to live their lives yeah absolutely and you know you you get to work with young people with the army cadets right now um what is it what is the one thing that you try to communicate to them to inspire them to be the very best that they can be or to or to remain as individual as they are true to themselves so yeah, one of the things that I often say is just take advantage of opportunities. If you're asked to do something, say yes, even if it's something that is really scary to you, then taking you out of that comfort zone is where the magic happens and where you'll you'll get the you know you'll learn and grow, and you never know where those different opportunities will will actually lead you. Um, you know, and there are so many different opportunities. I wish I knew then what I know now, because I chuckled when you say, say yes, because that is literally my driving principle in life. Now I say yes to every opportunity and then I'll worry about it later. You know, I'll think, oh my God, how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to achieve this? And amazing miracles have happened in my life as a consequence. So I think that's really, really good sage advice. And how refreshing it must be to work with the next generation of leaders. You know, what, what a great thing. But you're, you're doing so much else. And one of the other ambassadorial roles that you have is 
with something called The Walking Wounded, and you are planning a very special event uh, for The Walking Wounded called Walking Home for Christmas. Is that right? That's right. Yes, yes. So Walking with the Wounded is a a charity that I am an ambassador for. Um, And, yeah, they recognise that, you know, sort of coming up to Christmas, they support veterans who are you know homeless or perhaps 100%. don't have the family family support or, or employment and so walking home for christmas is you know actually having gratitude at the fact that you have a home to go home to and um, to raise money for those who aren't so fortunate um and you know there are a lot of lot of veterans that struggle that you see on on the streets because again they they've left that system and that was how they functioned now that they're out of that system it doesn't suit them quite quite the same so you know when it's cold and it's really just getting a group of people together I'm, i'm actually very lucky to be doing it with with the army cadet force and we're going to be walking it's the 10th year of the campaign so we're going to be walking 10 bridges um in london and yeah just I'm actually dressing as a huge uh, Christmas hat um, because all of my my marathons, I've done over 80 different marathons now, usually dressed as pieces of fruits. I think on your LinkedIn profile, it's you dressed as an orange, isn't it? Yes. A slice of orange. Yep. I've been a slice. I've been a segment. I've been a full orange. (laughs) I have the Guinness World Record for the fastest marathon dressed as a piece of fruit. That's incredible. The great thing is it makes people smile, but then they'll engage and say why are you dressed as an apple orange banana again it's that human connection again isn't it that you were talking about before you know how do you connect with the human beings and by dressing as a piece of fruit can can be it how could people support uh the walking home for uh christmas uh, event that you're doing is there, is there somewhere where they can donate it's a website that people can go along and do their own their own walks um and, you know, they can get family together. That's what I'm saying to the cadets, get your grandparents or your, your parents or, or you know, to the older generation, get your young, you know, just have that time as a family and, you know, walk, take, find a distance that you want to walk and be grateful for the, you know, for the connection that you have that others don't and raise money at the same time for them. Well, so do you know what, Sally? I may right. well do that in the build-up to Christmas because I do like a good walk. Uh, but the one thing I won't be doing is what the the next thing that we're going to talk about before you go. And it's this another amazing marathon. You just don't do marathons, do you? You do amazing marathons. So your next marathon is going to be called the Everest Marathon. And I saw a bulk when you said it, uh, but do you want to just tell people what this is all about? Yep. So it is exactly what it says on the tin. It is the uh, marathon at Everest so it starts at Everest base camp so clearly you have to get to Everest base camp and then you run down so it run a marathon distance down from there now I earlier this year did seven marathons seven continents seven days um, to take the mental health message around the world that you know we we really need to talk about um, how we feel and open up about these problems and now I want to take it to the top of the world so the Everest Marathon both geographically and topographically so topographically with the the Everest Marathon and then the North Pole Marathon as well um, to really get that message out there Um, yeah and continue to raise awareness and by you know some as you said at the beginning someone sees someone like me that's bright and bubbly and I've not always been like that. I've or 
I've perhaps given that as a facade, but I haven't felt like it inside. Yeah. But I feel now with the support that I've got of the therapist, of the medication and the, the techniques that I, I've got, that I do live that life now um, rather than just pretending to. And so that's a really nice feeling to show other people that they can as well. They can overcome the struggles and the difficulties. Mm. Um, you still have to work hard. I'm not going to pretend it's it's easy, but there is a way and a much better way than potentially the alternative, which is what so many people tragically end up, uh, you know, having to having to live such a powerful message, uh, Sally. And I, I, genuinely, I want to thank you for spending time with us because I think there is so much packed into this half an hour that you and I have had uh, that is of such value to people, to leaders out there. Leadership can be a very lonely place, as you quite rightly said. Mental health is, uh, is something that we need to be really switched on uh, to, uh, whether it's about talking about our own mental health or uh, being aware of the mental health of people around us. And, um, and also I, I love this one thing that you've said around, you know, say yes to everything. It is what I practice and it works for me. And finally, the, the key message for me is don't forget, it doesn't matter how clever you are. It doesn't matter how good you are at doing something you probably won't get very far if you haven't got the ability to connect with other people. And that fundamentally is, I think, the, the essence of great leadership. And thank you very much for being a great leader, for all the service that you've done over all those years, Sally, and for what you continue to do. And hopefully you meet Princess Anne again next week. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.